0: This is The Celluloid Ceiling, a podcast about women in film, starting from the early days of Hollywood all the way up to modern cinema. Take a journey with me, your host, Becca, as I explore all the different facets of filmmaking and all the amazing women making these films. Hello and welcome back to The Celluloid Ceiling. I'm your host, Becca. Now, it's been a really interesting and weird time here with this uh, global pandemic happening and everyone's spending a lot of time indoors so uh Hopefully, with that, everyone is being able to listen to more interesting and amazing podcasts. And hopefully, this is one of them that you've chosen. It is also March, which is Women's History Month, so the perfect time for this podcast to come out. And I know this is episode three and all, but I just wanted to bring this up now to make it seem like I am paying attention to the world around me. I don't just live in a bubble. So I am self-isolating, and that means lots and lots of research for this podcast, which is which is great sometimes. So today's episode is going to be about the golden age of Hollywood. And the golden age of Hollywood is considered to be from 1915 to 1969. And it's a super wide range, mostly dealing with the gilded age of Hollywood studios, like the 1920s through the 1940s. The 1920s is when the suffragette movement came to the United States and that had a huge backlash um, in the actual motion picture industry. So a lot of uh, women were worried about the motion picture industry in the sense that like women shouldn't be making films, women shouldn't actually even be watching these films. They're kind of dirty and crazy and people who go to the movies are not the kind of people you want to spend your time with. So the movies and films weren't seen as blockbusters or or things of art really for a while. And until that huge golden age started, but then it became a huge man's game at this point. Women were sort of pushed out of cinema. And that has a lot to do with the Hayes Code in general. Uh, There's this code that was created to make sure that there was more censorship. In general, Hollywood went through a major change in the 1950s. There's, um, you know, something huge was happening, the the advent of television. Uh, Television changed film forever. I mean, we can even see that still today and there's a lot of independent and new films beginning in the 1960s and the political climate at the point in time in America was also another thing that happened to be a factor in why a lot of women in particular weren't really seen in the huge Hollywood studio system and I'm not talking actors and actresses of course there's plenty of women seen through film in terms of acting but there's not a whole lot of women behind the camera. There's not a whole lot of women who are, actually there's no women who are heads of studios, some writers, some directors. It's just a huge divot down from what it used to be in the original days of cinema. So let's get started. So we're gonna talk about, and I mentioned her in the previous episode, Dorothy Arzner. So Dorothy was a director from 1924 to 1943. And she actually was originally pre-med. She eventually used her father's connection to William C. DeMille who then got her a job as a stenographer at the famous Players Lasky Corporation. Unfortunately for them, she was a horrible typist, but however, she ended up writing scripts and also doing some of the editing as well. So remember that in the original days of cinema, most of the time you did a little bit of everything, kind of like how it is independent cinema today. Just like some places want you to do now for just a little bit of money. Uh, I'm not bitter about that at all, just, just saying. So she actually did edit Blood and Sand, the Rudolph Valentino film, which eventually eventually led her to the director, James Cruz. So while she was editing Blood and Sand, she actually gave them the idea to use stock footage for the bullfighting scene, and from there began a relationship between her and James Cruz. A professional one, of course. It was actually rumored that she was at this point with an actress a la Nazimova, but that has been just a rumor. So Dorothy knew at this point that directing was for her and ended up giving the studio an ultimatum. She said <laughs> if she didn't get to direct, she would leave for another studio. So in 1926, she directs her first film, The Fashions for Women. Uh, after that, two years later, she is tasked with directing a talkie movie called The Wild Party, Now, there are a lot of different issues when it comes to early talkie films and how they recorded sound and the lengthy post-production process that came after that, but during this filmmaking process, Dorothy noticed how Clara Bow was really uncomfortable talking on camera and actually rigged up a microphone to a fishing rod and created the first ever boom microphone, of course. Awesome that a woman did that. Uh, Naturally, someone else actually patented it, but Hey, she created it first, so props to Dorothy. So uh, Dorothy leaves in 1932 to work freelance. Uh, Good luck there, Queen. It's uh, hard out there for a freelancer. Of course, the main theme of a lot of these directors is the feminist ideals and themes that they put in these movies, which some of the studios ended up promoting, saying a woman director is making woman films, like, you know, lady films. (laughs) But they just weren't rom-coms. They were films that dove deeper into themes like sexuality. There were often said to be actual lesbian undertones and many of Dorothy's films. And Dorothy actually eventually settled down with a choreographer, Marion Morgan, and they were together for 40 years. Never really confirmed if she actually did put lesbian undertones in her films, but that's, I mean, film student always has to look for what they want. And I understand that I have a cinema background or cinema studies background. So in 1943, she ended up coming down with pneumonia and that stopped her directing a lot of films. But she did go on to make some training films for the women's army corps, and working in commercials, teaching at UCLA. She spoke out about her leaving the industry and how she was a little pushed out by Louis B. Mayer. So Louis B. Mayer was saying that she was difficult to work with. Uh, Glad to know this is still happening today. Dorothy was actually the first woman to ever be in the Directors Guild of America, and actually has a star on the Walk of Fame, and was rediscovered in the 1970s with the feminist movement. So the next woman I want to talk about is Ida Lupino. So Ida began as an actress and was put in front of the camera at a young age thanks to her parents. She worked well in Hollywood for a while, and even auditioned for the role of Scarlett O'Hara, like every other woman in Hollywood at the time. She so eventually got the lead role in The Light That Failed, which earned her a contract with Warner Brothers. So she was interested in many aspects of filmmaking. So she spent some time on set watching the directors, learning from them. And after that, she decided acting was no longer exciting. So she wanted to definitely become an independent filmmaker, which, wow, crazy for the time. In the 1940s through really the 70s, a lot of women were independent filmmakers because the studio system started shutting them out. After her second year contract with Warner Brothers wasn't renewed, she decided to create her own studio with her second husband, Emerald Films, from 1949 to 1953, and then during this time, Ida wrote and directed six films as well as starring in other films. Naturally, she made films about the topics that were more serious, like rape and unwed mothers, films like The Outage, The Bigamist, Not Wanted, but she also made films about professional women as well. She was the first woman to direct a film noir, which is really awesome, and that was called The Hitchhiker, which had an homme fatale instead of a femme fatale, and once again, don't speak French, so yikes, if I spit home wrong, I'm so sorry. Ida then moves to television and directed over 100 episodes. She was actually the only woman to have edited an episode of The Twilight Zone and starred in the 16mm Shrine. She actually directed the episode, The Mask, which is a super famous episode. If you don't know it, I suggest that you look it up. Trouble with Angels in 1966 was the last film that she ever directed, which was an all-female comedy. She also has a star on the Walk of Fame, and in 1972, she said she wished that there were more women out there directing. Me too, Ida, me too. So, our next female director we have is Maya Darren. And she directed the film Meshes of the Afternoon in 1943. And that's her first film that she directed and she basically made it herself. She made it for a mere $250 and it was an avant-garde film. This was actually the first example of a narrative aspect to an American avant-garde film. And because of that, she became a big player in the independent filmmaking world, the art filmmaking world, the avant-garde world. And she often criticized Hollywood for spending too much money on trivial things and losing the artistic part. I think she also, she once quoted that they Hollywood spends the amount of money on a lipstick that she would spend making an entire film. <laughs> she eventually went on to make a film on Haitian voodoo called Meditation on Violence, and that was a film that the Guggenheim Fellowship grant helped her be able to travel for. And she actually became super interested in voodoo and she wrote a book on it and continued to film some voodoo rituals, dances, and she also did some possessions as well. And she filmed, she took pictures, she wrote, and she actually even took part in some of the ceremonies as well. So that became something that she was incredibly interested in. Her husband actually, I believe, left her uh, while she was, tra- or she left him while she was traveling there because she had this this passion for for really looking into Haitian voodoo because she happened to have edited someone's dissertation about voodoo and became very interested in it. So all the footage she actually took during this time was then put into a documentary called The Divine Horsemen: The Living Gods of Haiti, but that was actually all done after she died. She unfortunately died due to a brain hemorrhage that was brought on by malnutrition, uh, but she was a huge part of of the New American Cinema Movement for the Experimental and Underground Filmmaking, and in 1986, the American Film Institute created the Maya Darin Award to honor independent filmmakers. Now, um, as a side note, you are probably noticing the lack of women in color thus far, and I wanted to bring this up because it's not going unnoticed by me. Um, Much like the general history of women is erased, it's far worse for women in film. I haven't found much evidence of Asian women, African American women, Hispanic women, and pretty much non-white or European women. Uh, I am trying to look for them more now, and hopefully later episodes will feature them. This is just an unfortunate circumstance when it comes to that, but I am, I am trying, (laughs) I promise. You probably noticed there's not a whole lot of women in this episode as well, and I know that there are plenty of women who are falling through the cracks who just didn't make it through history, but I've been trying to comb through all sorts of websites and books and articles to see if I'm missing anyone, but like I said at the beginning, this was not a great time for women in film. Women were less and less making films, there are more and more starring in them. They weren't really allowed in the studio system. They were just sort of shoot out. They could be stenographers. They could be assistants. They could be actresses. Um, but jobs like directing became a huge male-dominated field, and it's very much like that today. And unfortunately, we are still seeing the lack of women in directorial roles in the terms of big blockbuster films. It's, it's very rare to see a woman in big blockbuster films. That's why you see the independent film market is, is so much nicer, well, easier, I guess, for women to break into. So the work of women directors in the golden age of Hollywood was abysmal uh, due to a lot of different factors. Uh, from this moment on, Hollywood became a boy's game, and I have mentioned many times, it's still like this today. But next week, we're talking more about modern films from the 1960s all the way to current 2020. And I'm hoping next week won't be as abysmal. I'll get to talk about the first ever woman to win a Oscar for directing. There's a lot of cool firsts with women, including the first female superhero movie ever being directed by women, Patty Jenkins. Thanks for listening. Stay well. Wash your hands. I'm Becca. See you next time. This has been The Celluloid Ceiling, a podcast researched, created, and edited by me. Special thanks to my dad, Mark Castaneda, for doing the music.